and welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one chapter at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet for me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi, Brandon. Hey, Brandon. Hey, we are not even going to be talking about <laughs> your translation this week. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, a first. It is. I am really excited to uh, get to share with you all our first interview. We are, we have Terry Wildman. Terry was the lead translator, the general editor, and project manager for the First Nations version, a translation of the New Testament that was published by InterVarsity Press uh, back in August of 2021. I love the conversation we had with Terry earlier today. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. Yeah, and I can't believe that it was, he said August 2021, that's only four months ago. Yeah. And as, you know, we get into with him, this the kind of response that it's already had, that's so impressive. Um, it's really clearly filling a, uh, a need that needed to be mm-hmm. met. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, there are a few niche translation works going on out there, sometimes by committee, sometimes by individual theologians creating their own translation of the Christian scriptures. And so we knew that we didn't want you to only be hearing from two Brandons. We want you to hear from other people doing similar work out there and capture the diversity of, there's as many ways to translate the Bible as there are people and places. And so being able to hear from other people doing this work, not trying to find the best translation, but be faithful to the story that they've lived and the place that they live intersecting with the story that they've received in these scriptures. And we, I felt like the first place we got to start is with the First Nations and hearing about that sort of work here. So... Uh, without further ado, you get to just kick back and listen <laughs> to our conversation with Terry Wildman. Terry, thanks for being here. Can you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Hey, thanks for inviting me here, and uh, and uh, I'm just honored to be here and to uh, be able to talk to you and your listeners. Uh, well, um, I'll give you a little bit of, of, of the Ojibwe, a, a greeting that I was taught in Ojibwe. Bujuniji, Bamarazig, Itchianimeki Manomashkiki Manadu, Indigo, Terry Wildman, Nindishnikaz. So what I said was, hello, my friends who share this life together with me. Um, my name is Terry Wildman. My native name that was given to me is Gitchianimiki Manomashkiki Manadu. And it means voice of great thunder with a good medicine spirit. I'm still trying to live up to that name. Uh, Terry is a little easier uh, <laughs> to live up to, but uh, I want to honor my ancestry and my people by uh, taking that name and, and, and honoring that name. So uh, my wife and I live in uh, Maricopa, Arizona. Uh, we grew up uh, in Michigan, uh, both of us did, in the land of what we call the Anishinaabeg, the, the real people. Sorry about the rest of you. Um, 
but we, <laughs> we now live on uh, in Maricopa, Arizona, on the traditional lands of the Pima and the Tona Offum uh, people here in, in, in Arizona. Maricopa is kind of an island community in between two large reservations uh, in Arizona. And the, the Tohono O'odham and the Yaqui are both desert tribes out here in Arizona, somewhat related to the Apache and, and other desert tribes that you'll find here. My native ancestry includes both Ojibwe and Yaqui. I also have English and German in my ancestry. So I'm mixed blood, but I'm not mixed up. Um, I really do relate to my native ancestry and have been uh, working at reclaiming that in my life, uh, like so many of our native people have to do. I'd love to hear a little bit about what your faith journey has been like, particularly as it relates to the Bible. Well, I came to faith very young, uh, just out of high school. Matter of fact, it was uh, during my senior year of high school, I went to an all-night uh, kind of a uh, Jesus rock and roll event where, uh, it was where they lock you in all night at a Methodist church. <laughs> and, uh, and I heard these guys who had long hair and they looked like a bunch of hippies. They looked like a bunch of rebels, but they loved Jesus. They loved this Jesus person. And I, I had learned about a little bit about him in church growing up. I wasn't, I didn't go to church uh, except that my, my grandma's um, neighbor used to take me to a Lutheran church. And I remember the, the memory I have, I have two memories Hope I'm not getting too long here, but I have two memories in the Lutheran church. One is uh, this, this uh, beautiful blue kind of felt material and all the little pictures of sheep and Jesus and shepherds and everything mm -hmm. being put on there. And I don't remember the stories, but I remember the imagery. And the second yeah. thing is I remember the, uh, the pastor, they, I would have to sit through the service. And the lady that took me was smart. She gave me this little thing to play with, to spell words, you know, I don't know, could move the letters around. But I remember one day I looked up one time and the, the pastor was trying to explain God and the, and the Trinity. And I, I didn't understand the word Trinity at all, but I remember looking up there and I saw this triangle. He had a picture of it. He had a, uh, a picture there and, and, it said Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at each point of that triangle. And I thought, God's a triangle? <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> my little mind just, you know. Yeah. So that was kind of, I had yeah. that, those experiences when I was young. But then I had, I had the, uh, when I was just getting out of high school, more and more I was hearing this message that somehow we needed a, someone to save us. And what did he save us from? He's, he's saving us from what I heard mostly was these saving us from hell. But mm -hmm. really, I, what I understand now, he's saving us from ourselves, from our destructive ways. He's saving us from our broken ways and our, uh, mm -hmm. in the, way, the ways that the world has shaped us, informed us in, in ways that aren't consistent with justice and, and creator and who God is. Um, now I'm being saved from those things. And um, being brought into helping others experience similar things and, and inviting them onto this journey with me. So 
But um, so early on, I got involved. I went into the army. I got involved with uh, a, a Baptist church there where I, uh, where I, I finally, uh, before I went in the army, uh, it was through the ministry of the Baptist church. I finally kind of decided, I, I think I need to follow this Jesus, but I couldn't do it in church because I, I just saw too many people who went forward in church and, and then, you know, nothing changed. And I go, gosh, you know, how do you, how do you change? How do you make this happen? And uh, I remember um, when I finally realized that I, I, I kind of realized I, I had to do business with God. I had to come to grips with who Jesus is and find out, do I really believe that I'm, you know, that I need him? And I came to the point where I go, I need him. I, I really feel it. I felt something. I felt a drawing. And uh, one night all by myself, I got, I, I just went and did business with creator. I broke down emotionally. I cried mm-hmm. yeah. and peace came. And ever since that time, I've, uh, even though I've had intellectual doubts about things in my heart, mm-hmm. I know, I know that Jesus is Creator's son. I know that he yeah. is who he says he is and he did what he came to do and i can trust that mm-hmm. so um so the bible i got involved with the navigators a little bit when i was in the service and they kind of gave me this uh the value for the scriptures mm-hmm. and memorizing I, so i i started out doing some memorizing but at that time i was not connected to my native heritage so this is pre-connection okay. to my native heritage i knew about my native heritage from my grandma uh, who is Yaki from my grandpa, who has the Ojibwe heritage of my dad's side. And so my, my grandma kind of instilled these around the house. She would love to dance around and sing. And she'd always talk about how that uh, she, even though she spoke Spanish, she would say, we're not Mexican. We're, if we are, we're Mexican Indians, she said. And so I learned later that that was the Yaki people. And so I have I have connected with the Yaquis, but mostly since I grew up in Michigan, I felt more connected to the Anishinaabe, the Ojibwe. And so that's, uh, you know, um, and it, it was later in life, uh, I'd say about 1993, that I started really feeling this call, this connection, this desire to learn about my native heritage. And that began a whole new journey in my life. I'd love to hear more about that, how being Ojibwe and Yaqui has interfaced with your Christianity. I didn't know much about uh, the, uh, you know, my heritage, so I had to explore it. I had to ask questions, So, and I prayed, and, and, and during that time, I actually began to meet Native, Native people in Michigan who started explaining things to me. And I met uh, a, native, a, a couple, she was Navajo from Arizona. And, uh, and I, I remember talking to her and she was a believer in Jesus. And I was really curious about her native ways and belief in Jesus. And how does that all connect? Because I'm coming at it from a perspective of being a, a Jesus follower. And, but yeah, I, I, I was open to the idea that, uh, that, you know, I think in my mind, I kind of felt like, well, you, how do you be native and Christian? You know, and that's a question mm-hmm. a lot of native people ask. How do you be native and Christian? So it, 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 that's where my journey began. And then uh, 
Long story short, I felt a call. I kept responding to it. New doors began to open. Eventually, I landed in Arizona and joined Youth with a Mission. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Youth with a Mission, I went to, we went to, my wife and I went to the their school for uh, six months. Uh, and then after that, we joined the uh, Tribal Winds YWAM uh, group up up on the Hopi Reservation in Northern Arizona. And so uh, okay. that began my experience. That would have been about 19, uh, let's see, no, 20 Oh, the year 2000, June of 2000, I was uh, went to Hopi and began that part of my journey of actually living in and among traditional people, learning from tradi- very traditional people. The Hopis may be some of the most traditional people we have left. Uh, hmm. uh, there are other tribes holding on to their traditions, but the Hopis have have uh, kind of prided themselves in some ways in holding on longer than, than and to their ancient traditions. And so just learning, uh, sitting with a Hopi. So my journey be, began by me go, entering a, a time of crisis in my faith. As I learned more and more about the history of what happened with Christianity and native people, I began to go, what on, on earth? How could this happen? And it really made me wonder what kind of Christianity, I, I still believed in Jesus, but had I bought into a kind of Christianity that really wasn't following after Jesus the right way? Uh, and mm-hmm. so that began to stir in me. And I, I, I had a crisis time and I decided, well, let me, let me study church history. Big mistake. Right. <laughs> yeah, I understand. It's a grave and <laughs> complicated matter. It, it took me deeper into the crisis for a while, but where, but sitting, but at the same time, I'm learning from the Hopi people, and I'm beginning to see how that that God, Creator, God, was already at work in in Hopi people before the gospel ever came before the news about Jesus ever came, before the settlers came. And, the, and I began to see, uh, with as I met other Native people, other Native leaders, uh, um, there was kind of about that time, there was a movement among um, uh, many Native people, Richard Twiss of Wichone, um, other Native leaders began to say, we can follow Jesus in the context of our culture. Why would I want to give up my sin-stained culture for your sin-stained culture? Mm-hmm. You know, all cultures are stained somewhat with sin. Okay. Yeah. So well, that's powerful. So Jesus is going to help me be the best Lakota man I can be. And he's going to affirm everything there is about being a Lakota that's good. He's going to affirm it. And he's going to help me be that. And, uh, and I, I thought, this is the kind of message I can grab hold of. But still, it's, there's this whole area of what happened to Christianity? What happened to the message of Jesus? Why were the messengers not behaving according to the message? 
Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm still on that journey. I'm still questioning those things. And, and many of our Native people today who are followers of Jesus are exploring this pretty deep, deeply. How did this mm-hmm. happen? Where did it begin, this idea of, of uh, Christian people participating with a, an empire who, that was conquering another people and to say, we can do this, it's okay with God. Mm-hmm. So how did that happen? Yeah. So we're exploring that, and there are answers to that. But those things help me recover my faith. Other Native believers who mm-hmm. were wrestling with the same questions, who were coming up sometimes with good answers, but at least together we we had a fellowship that strengthened each other. And so uh, that's what helped me navigate this whole process. I mean, that was over years and years it took. Uh, for for that to come to completion Uh, along the way in my heart i still felt that jesus was right Mm -hmm. i just had to discover uh a a i had to start a decolonization process in my own life Uh, and so that's Mm -hmm. that's been and is continuing to be my journey Mm. thank you thank you yeah thank you yeah there's a a line that uh, a mentor of mine says that uh, the more complicated his theology gets, the more childlike his faith becomes like, no, I can, I'm, I'm holding on to Jesus for dear life through all this stuff because it's, there's a lot of horror and complicatedness out there. That's right. And I'm really grateful when it does feel like there's a, a deepening elegance and simplicity in my heart when otherwise it'd be very tempting to just <laughs> cast it all aside. Right. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, let's let's turn to the First Nations version. You were the lead translator, general editor, and project manager for this. Um, could you begin by giving us a, a reading uh, from this version? Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. How about the Beatitudes? I like it. That'd be lovely. All right. So, starting with Matthew, chapter five. And verses three through 10, creator's blessing rests on the poor, the ones with broken spirits. The good road from above is theirs to walk. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk a trail of tears, for he will wipe the tears from their eyes and comfort them. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk softly and in a humble manner, the earth land and sky will welcome them and always be their home. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who hunger and thirst for wrongs to be made right again. They will eat and they will drink until they are full. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who are merciful and kind to others. Their kindness will find its way back to them full circle. Creator's blessing rests on the pure of heart, for they are the ones who will see the great spirit. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who make peace. It will be said of them, they are the children of the great spirit. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who are hunted down and mistreated for doing what is right, for they are walking the good road from above. Oh, 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. That's a good stretch of scripture for this. That I caught so many very charged and carefully thought through phrases in there. I mean, the mm-hmm. trail of tears was not something I was expecting to see in the Beatitudes, but it, yeah. <laughs> that it, it's hits right hard. Yeah. Well, that's how uh, native, I believe, how native people can relate to Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was oppressed. And he experienced oppression. And he, most of his ministry was spent among oppressed people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they understand, our native people understand that because we've been the subject of oppression for uh, hundreds of years. Yeah, that parallel of both contexts being one of occupying forces make some of these themes and subtleties that other translations don't surface as much, like really right. comes to the surface. So I'd love to hear uh, more about how did the idea for this translation begin? I know I've, I've heard of translations into more and more indigenous tongues, but the, those languages are not widely spoken anymore. Well, I guess the very beginning was when we lived on the Hopi Res, and hmm. and, and I was, uh, I would spend time, we had a, uh, Youth with a Mission had a jail ministry, and there was a jail on the reservation, and so they would let us come in and talk with the, any of the men that wanted to come to, the, to a meeting and uh, get out of their cells for a while and come and listen to some religious people, missionaries, you know. And so uh, as I sat in on some of these meetings, eventually uh, it led to, we, we did smaller meetings. We got permission from the jail with a smaller group of men called a talking circle. And in that talking circle, I, I, I just began to ad- adapt to a native ways of doing things. And, and what came out of that was, was uh, presenting the scriptures in a native way. Is there a better way? Because I noticed the guys weren't connecting much, even though we had a good NIV translation was being used mm-hmm. everywhere. Uh, the, the, the phrasing of it, it's English. It's understandable, but it doesn't relate. And so mm-hmm. I started working with the guys in the, in the Hopi jail. And we just, I just started uh, messing around with rewording the scripture mm-hmm. uh, and, and using wording that was meant the same thing, but, but was relatable to the guys. And I would ask for feedback. I would test it out. They'd say, yeah, that sounds good. That, that makes it make more sense to me. And eventually that mm-hmm. led to, uh, to um, me searching for, is there a translation that has been done that does this, that, that actually words things for native North Americans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find one. I could find a bunch of Bibles with covers that had good paintings of, of native people on them, simple mm. translations. Usually they, 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 they used real simple translations mm. and, I, and it got even, mm. e- even using the, the NIRV. And I, I thought NIRV that's for third graders, you know, and Mm-hmm. And, and I just, that bothered me. But at the same time, I remember opening up one of those Bibles that was done by a group of native people. And 
I noticed that they had an introduction to the New Testament. And in the introduction, they used different wording. They hmm. talked about creator. They talked about uh, creation. They talked about lots of different things. But then it just went from there. And that was the introduction to it into a NIRV translation. And I thought, wow, why couldn't the whole Bible be done using this kind of wording instead of this? And so what I eventually yeah. did, I, I looked for it, couldn't find it, asked around, asked all kinds of other missionaries and groups out there that were working with Native people, nothing out there. So I started a journey of uh, writing a story from creation to Christ with help of getting feedback from my Native friends and others and leaders and everything. And eventually that became a CD called uh, The Great Story from the Sacred Book. So that was the beginning of it. That was in 2008 that I released. I started this whole journey with Hope. You remember in 2000, so eight years later. Now I've got this CD that my wife and I did. We're musicians. We've been writing music and our music writing was using more, more of our cultural idioms, mm. our cultural way of speaking in my songwriting. Um, as I learned, and again, remember, I'm learning my culture. I'm learning this myself as I go. Mm -hmm. But also, a lot of our Native people have to learn our own cultures now. We have to be reintroduced to them because of the assimilation policies, because of boarding schools, because of the government and the church's involvement in taking our languages away from us. So so there, uh, there was lots of Native Bibles translated into the language of the Native people, but the Hopi Bible that I found in a box in the storage room <laughs> wasn't being used, wasn't being read. And I couldn't find anyone who could read it, except later a pastor could read some portions of it side by side with English. So I thought, wow, no mm -hmm. one's done this, you know, and these, these translations aren't being read mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, of the assimilation policies of never learning how to read our languages. We were oral people. Right. Uh, and, and so, um, so I just did this CD and released it with my, with music in the background. I did the narration using these, this new wording from the scriptures, telling the story. And we won the native American music award for best spoken word that year. Wow. <laughs> so, so we it resonated with all. some folks. Yeah. It resonated Apparently. with Native people, and yeah. it was voted in as best spoken word. I've got the, the thing here. So I thought, wow, this is, this is being recognized by Native people. Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. only Native people on the res, but Native people who are involved off the reservation, involved in, you know, the, the music and industry and all kinds of things. And so uh, eventually... I just kept working on rewording portions of the scripture. I wasn't yet thinking that I would ever translate the scripture. I was never trained mm -hmm. to do so, academically trained. I am an avid Bible student. I am a reader, but I have an eclectic um, uh, bag of how I've learned the Bible. I've read all kinds of, uh, I've done it mostly self-study. I've taken a few courses, college courses, um, but mostly it's been through self-study 
and uh, and Logos Bible Software. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I spent a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, at one at one time, I, I I memorized the Greek alphabet, and I learned what to do and not to do about how you kind of interpret Greek words in the Bible. You just they don't all right. There's different meanings behind. You just can't take one single meaning and apply it to every time that Greek word's used. So I knew enough about those things, um, and so. But I noticed too that there was like on Bible Gateway there was like forty versions of the New Testament or the Bible right. in English, and I thought, well, I don't have to. I don't have to recreate the wheel. No. <laughs> the work's been done. If I get enough commentaries and feedback and, and everything, I think I could do this because people kept telling me we need a version like this. I couldn't find anyone that was doing it. And so eventually mm-hmm. through prayer and confirmation from others, I said, okay, I'll do it. Hmm. Especially after the CD. Uh, yeah. So I, so the second part of the journey, we, we start, I started with the Christmas story. That was about 2012. And we did a children's book called The Birth of the Chosen One. And I wanted to get it out there. I created a Facebook page, a website. I knew enough of tech stuff to do that. Simple, simple stuff. And then um, I tr- that would be a test doing the, the, the birth story. And it started really working. The CD was our bestseller online, the, the storytelling CD. I was getting mm-hmm. feedback from native and non-native people about how much they loved it. They, it, it just, it felt right to them. Native people, we had one elder that, that said, wow, after listening to that, if, if the missionaries would have said it this way, we'd have listened a long time ago. I mean, mm-hmm. I had actual native elders who told me some of this mm-hmm. stuff, you know, and some who weren't mm-hmm. even Christians heard it and they liked it and they wanted mm-hmm. to hear more. Um, and so eventually my wife and I, Quit, we were pastoring on the Hopi Res. We left and traveled all over the all over Turtle Island, what we call the U.S. And I would test this out everywhere I went, and people wanted it. So I finally committed myself to doing it. The second book I did was called "When the Great Spirit Walked Among Us," and it was a harmony of all four Gospels. Mm-hmm. And that was that was hard. Not not the actually the translation work was helpful to me. Uh, doing a harmony, but the um, harmonizing it was the hardest thing. Oh, man. And nobody can actually harmonize it. All we can do is take our best shot at it. And Mm -hmm. so we decided to harmonize it according to what would be the best way a storyteller would bring that story together and Mm -hmm. tell it. And so that's, that's what we did. That became that, that started getting picked up by missionary groups and, uh, name used it a little bit. Uh, crew nations began to use it and order copies from us. Uh, so then finally in 2015, I committed myself to begin the translation. I didn't know where to go from there, but I was going to start it in, in prayer and everything. And then one book from Canada, a Bible translation organization that, that was working with tribes in Africa, mostly mm-hmm. about 30, 35 tribes in Africa the CEO found what I was doing. He has a heart for native North Americans. He's in Canada and uh, Wayne Johnson. And he contacted me, found my website, said, how would you like someone to 
a Bible translation to support and help you do what you're doing. And that was the ultimate confirmation. That was in April of 2015 uh, that, that, that uh, we agreed together. Uh, later in June, we uh, agreed to work together. My, our ministry, my wife and I, Rain Ministries and One Book of Canada uh, partnered uh, mm. an international uh, wow. task project wow. to do the yeah. First Nation version. And what they I love about them is they said their philosophy as a translator, as a translation organization, was not to have non-Indigenous people do the translation. All Indigenous peoples would do all the translating. They would simply give expertise and help and point in the right direction. Mm. Uh, and and give some feedback here and there. So that's how it started in 2015. Wow, that's great. Yeah. It's quite a story of building from just <laughs> a little little bit of effort here and then just kind of growing and growing. It blossomed, yeah, just like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you touched on something there that uh about the coming from a, a more oral culture, oral tradition. Listener Hannah on Facebook uh, chimed in with a question here about um, curiosity around how intergenerational oral storytelling interfaces with doing something like you're committing to very specific writing things down is very different from telling stories like we're doing to face-to-face like this. I'd mm-hmm. love to hear, I don't even know what the right question is to ask here. I just love to hear how those two worlds came together in this. Well, one of the things um, is I understood and being living among the Hopi for five years and really learning how traditional people go, I understand, you know, that oral concept, but also all of our native people now have been taught to read, except some of our very oldest elders may not be, be able to read, but we've been taught mm-hmm. to read English. And so, and a lot of books have been published by Native people, some of them pretty old, that were actually translated more directly from a language speaker into English, like Black Elk Speaks, like some of Chief Joseph's speeches mm-hmm. and, and his orations, and uh, Chief Seattle in, in, in the, uh, uh, what we call Washington State now. And um, so I, I really immersed myself in those writings early on, because I thought, for one thing, I learned that it was the elders often that tell the stories hmm. to, the, to the younger people. A storyteller is often, most often an elder. A storyteller, uh, you know, and a lot of times the grandpa or the, or the, the elder of the family, would, they, they would sit around the fire and they would tell the ancient stories. Mm-hmm. And they would retell them over and over again. And so we thought um, we would love to do an oral version, which is in the works right now. We're doing an audio book. And a lot mm-hmm. of uh, Native people now are reaching out saying, we, I would like our elders to be able to hear this read to them because we read it to them. Mm-hmm. But what we tried to do and our attempt was to capture, uh, because I wasn't doing this by myself, we, we had a we formed a translation council of all native people. We had reviewers. Uh, we, we've had over 
uh, probably somewhere between 35 to 40 tribal heritages in, uh, involved in this translation at one level or another, giving feedback. I, I did the main work, but, but uh, then people would go back over it and give me suggestions and feedback and uh, to get the wording right and stuff like that to relate best to our native people. But we tried to capture intentionally the cadence of a storyteller. And a lot of people tell me now that when they read it out loud, they fall into a cadence. And to me, I go, wow, that's what we were hoping for. Uh, one young man in Canada, a young native, uh, had a friend sit down and read portions to it at the breakfast table. Hmm. And he hmm. said, wow, this is just like my grandpa telling me the story of Jesus. Hmm. <laughs> and because he said it had a similar feel to it. So that was one of the things that we worked at. I don't know. I don't think we did it perfectly. It's hard. Sometimes in Paul's letters, it was a little harder to capture that. I bet. But yeah. <laughs> people have even said that sometimes Paul's letters are, are much more, in a sense, more story-like or poetic, uh, the way we've presented some of the wording uh, and such. So uh, that, that was the idea behind it, that we would, that we would capture that storytelling feeling and the fact that we would not make it tribally specific. There was enough of our people all speak English now, uh, you know, and so we have a common language and we have common gatherings called the powwows. And so it, there are places in this translation that we used powwow metaphors. Mm. Uh, in Philippians, we used a powwow metaphor where we call Jesus the head man dancer leading the way. And in, in a powwow, mm. you have a head man dancer. And the head man dancer is the one who sets the pace, who is the ones they follow the head man dancer around the circle. You know, he, he gets everybody established and in, uh -huh. in the beginning has uh, is the one who leads leads the way on all the dances and they have a head woman mm -hmm. dancer also that that's out there but so we use these different metaphors and because we have a lot of intertribal interaction now and speak a similar language um we tried to keep it as uh untribal sp specific as possible there are a few places where we use some tribally specific things, but usually there's a footnote to follow the those. And we used names for God that weren't necessarily tribally specific, although you could say great spirit has came out of a certain uh, out of the Lakota and maybe the, the uh, Anishinaabe people called mm -hmm. uh, called the creator, the, uh, the, the Lakota, the great mystery. Uh, and the 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 um, Ojibwe, the great mystery or the great spirit, the spirit and mystery mm -hmm. are are very similar concepts in in a uh, in, in native culture. So so that was our that was our intention. That was where we were working on. We uh, we met together for weeks together personally together uh, with the Bible translating organization, and we identified over one hundred and fifty no one hundred and eighty five key words from the New Testament. And then we said, okay, how are we going to translate each of these key words into English in a way that relates to our native people? And we intentionally stayed away from certain words uh, um, because of the 
history behind those words and the boarding school experience and colonialism and things like that. And so we intentionally stayed away from those words. We even stayed away from Lord, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, even though, of course, our native people would understand the concept of Lord, but it doesn't really relate in our tribal culture very well to have lords. Um, mm-hmm. We had As- chiefs who served the people, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear what some of those words are that were worth like, no, we're not going to let that one in. <laughs> we could uh-huh. do more from that. Well, one of the uh, first words was that we didn't want to let into the scriptures was the word <laughs> sin. Yeah. Why is that? Well, for, first of all, what does that word mean in English? Do we all agree in English what it means? <laughs> no kidding. Probably no, not. No, not we don't. From, <laughs> no. from, yeah. from church to church and denomination to denomination, sin is different things. Yeah. Right. So the word sin isn't a very good word anymore. I, I would even say, let's get it out of all of our translations. You know, mm-hmm. let's find better words than the word sin because of the baggage and the history behind it and how it's disagreed upon in so many different ways. So we, tr- we tried to find native equivalents. And we, we, we basically came upon several words, broken ways. We came upon wrongdoings, depending on the context, um, mm-hmm. bad hearts and broken mm-hmm. ways. Because sometimes people have bad hearts and they really have given themselves over to evil. Mm-hmm. Other people, they have good hearts, but they're broken. And they can't, they can't quite make it. I want to do good, but I can't get there. That's Paul. You know, I want to do good, but I just can't get myself to do it. Right. 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 <laughs> you know, right. So Paul, Paul understood he was broken, you know, and he needed a, someone to uh, rescue him from his brokenness. So that's one of the words. And it's in, in, in our um, boarding schools, hmm. the word sin was used for our culture. It was a mm. sin to speak your language. It was a sin to have long hair. It was a sin to pray with incense or smoke, which a lot of our native people do. And so this word now, for people who have experienced boarding school, it is a trigger word that triggers a defensive yeah. mechanism immediately. And why should we present scripture to a people who it triggers automatically defensiveness so they can't take a real good look at what it's really saying. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so that was kind of, that was one of the, the main words that we did. There's other words that we stayed away from kingdom. Uh, we, we decided that the word kingdom didn't relate well to our cultures. Uh, and so we, uh, we basically uh, used, uh, we, we have native theologians, believe it or not. And those theologians have, 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 uh, looked at these things and uh, a guy named george tinker uh, he uh, wrote a book called spirit and resistance oh you ought to read it so good and in in that he talks about the basilia the kingdom and what would it look like to native people how would it be expressed in a native way and we you know i mean he explains a lot but he kind of settled on the idea of a good road to walk so we called the kingdom creators good road. And that has been very well received. 
and understood. But we also have a glossary in the back of the First Nation version where we explain mm-hmm. a lot of these key terms and why we translated them the way we did. Mm. Um, and, and that wasn't put there mainly for Native people. It was put there for the non-Natives so they would have a, an understanding of why we're say, using this terminology. Mm-hmm. Because we know a lot, yeah. a lot of non-Native people are, are either going to like it or they're going to hate it. And if they're going to hate it, they better hate it for the right reasons. Right. You know? At least understand what they're hating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I can see how words like sin, which is one that in my translating work that I've also committed to not use and trying to find yeah. other ways to express that. Yeah. It's just become a weapon, really. Yeah. Yeah. And it's become, they, they can become such static words that just actually hide us. Like you, like you said initially, Terry, this, there's so many different senses of what we all think that word means. Mm-hmm. But it's actually hiding <laughs> the the text from us, the traditional re- translation. So finding a plurality of words for this is really helpful. Yeah. Well, Native American stories, our storytellers traditionally told stories in ways that were unique to the storyteller, but also and meaningful to the listeners. So mm-hmm. these storytellers would draw from history, tradition, and experience. So a storyteller ensures that the essence of the story is preserved without the need to present a strict word-for-word recital. Mm -hmm. And we also use that, if there's a philosophy for our translation, Mm -hmm. that might be a good answer as that was our philosophy. Uh, Not Mm -hmm. necessarily a word-for-word literal recital, but more a meaning for meaning, making sure that the meaning is preserved the, but the wording change changes to be more meaningful to the listener. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes me think of like relationship where, like you said, it's not the like a, following a script, but it's taking the story, thinking about who I am as the storyteller, who you are as the hero, and like the relationship of, between all three of those and crafting it in real time. Yeah. I'm curious what surprised you or others on the committee along the way? Um, I guess I was surprised when we got away from the narrative and started doing the letters. It was surprising how well it worked for the letters. Mm. Oh, really? That's surprising. That is surprising, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I guess, uh, you know, as I look at it, you know, Paul actually is a little bit of a storyteller himself. And he's drawing from a history of stories for his teachings. And so uh, I think Paul, in some places, actually uses a lot of metaphors. And these metaphors um, translate well because uh, you can find metaphors among our native way of seeing the world and understanding things that that you can change the metaphor without changing the meaning. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so that's, I'm guessing that's why uh, Paul was, but, but we found there, you know, I found Ephesians easy and and Colossians quite easy, but I found Mm -hmm. Corinthians to be difficult. Oh, really? And I, Mm -hmm. and I guess, I guess because Paul's dealing with so many, it, it seems to me that he had such long 
explanations in Corinthians and long sentence structures that are hard to break up into uh, smaller thoughts, you mm -hmm. know, without being redundant. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's the cultural issues, the women speaking in church, wearing head coverings, all these different things. Some of these things were a challenge, but then we thought, well, why not put some examples from our cultures in, in, in the, we have these portions that are italicized that mm -hmm. are sort of explanations in places because we, we're seeing that a native people are reading this, maybe who have never read the Bible. They don't understand that it's even a, a, the tribe is Jewish people. You know, mm -hmm. this is written 2000 years ago by people who were uh, primarily Jewish, I guess, except for Luke, uh, the mm -hmm. whole new Testament was written by Jewish people. And, and it pulls from Jewish culture all the time. Um, and so we thought, well, you know, our native cult, Jewish culture was ceremonial. Native culture is ceremonial. Jewish culture had rules, or uh, you might call them, um, uh, you know, ways of doing things that weren't the same tribe to tribe. Mm -hmm. Okay, so maybe one tribe would do a ceremony this way. Another tribe would do it differently, but yet they could accept that it was being done different because this is the way our tribe does it. This is the way your tribe does it. We accept the outcome is the same. <laughs> and, and so yeah. in Paul's writing in Corinthians, as he gets into a lot of the, uh, the nuts and bolts of bringing together Jews and Gentiles, Mm -hmm. People who are have different been raised differently in different cultures have different rules, different taboos. Native people understand taboos, and even in our powwow culture, we have rules about how you who gets to dance in the circle, what do you wear when you dance in the circle, what roles do you take? Do the dancers take in the circle? The head man mm -hmm. dancer has a role, the head woman dancer has a role. The um, other people have roles in the powwow. We, the MC has a role and uh, the women, when they dance in the powwows, they have, they're supposed to wear a shawl um, and it would be disrespectful to the people and to the traditions not to wear those shawls when they're mm -hmm. dancing. So we put in the idea that Paul may be speaking of cultural norms that weren't, that they wanted to honor because those cultural norms, if you started breaking those cultural norms, you were going to take the focus off the real meaning of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Mm. You know, and so, yeah. so we use some of that in there. And so, um, and so then it began to, to make some good sense. And um, our, the people who kind of checked over it and uh, with, we had a, we had a uh, consultant with 50 years experience. Uh, he used to be the, he was the head of Wycliffe Canada. And he was the one that founded one book translating. Um, and he uh, has 50 years experience working with indigenous cultures uh, over in, 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 I guess uh, I'm trying to, in the Philippines, he was there for 30 years, translating to different Philip, uh, Filipino people. And he uh, loved how we explained and presented possibilities. And we didn't present it as, as absolutes, we suggested mm -hmm. things. Sure. <laughs> uh, let the reader make their own mind up a couple places. That's what Paul says. Right. Yeah. 
there's make precedent your own mind yeah. up about this. But he, yeah. he says, you can make up your own mind whether or not this is right, but this is the way we do it. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. So native people yeah. can say the same thing. This is how we do powwows. This is the way it works. And mm-hmm. we're going to honor those traditions. Uh, even though we're living in a modern world and we may outside the powwow, we may do things differently. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the powwow, we follow the traditions, you know, so uh, those are some of the ideas. I'd love to hear what's been the public response to this. It's been surprising in a good way. Oh, good. If you go on Amazon and look up the First Nation version and look at the feedback that people are giving, I think we had one or two negative feedbacks. Everything else has been like four mm-hmm. or five stars. Mm-hmm. People love it. People people that have grown weary, uh, non-Native people who have grown weary of reading the scriptures have said it's revitalized their scripture reading. Mm-hmm. And it's made them more open and to native people and native ways of seeing things. And they do really recognize that this is kind of speaking through the lens of another culture. They recognize that. And, and most people that read it love it, except for some, there's some diehards that don't. There's also native people, some that don't like it. Hmm. You know, they think it's a, maybe another uh, sly form of colonialism you know sure and we understand that we understand that but we also uh say this this was a translation done by native people a group of native people we're not saying we represent everybody or every native perspective there is but this is a group a large group of native people that work together on this to present it in a good way to our people we believe this group of native people believe that jesus is a good spirit Okay, Mm -hmm. Jesus is, he's a good medicine man, and he has good medicine for us, and that the people who brought him to us misrepresented him. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so we want a chance for Native people to hear about him without that misrepresentation in place. Yeah. And so that's kind of how we approach that. We explain that where we can, and and I've had a few traditional people that didn't like it say, "Oh, oh, okay. I mean, uh, you know, it's native people doing it. So that, that for me, that that's a, a good way to approach it. And the feedback has been amazingly good. Um, it, it's being used by many different native ministries. Um, native inner varsity uses it for their Bible studies now. Hmm. Uh, okay. and they, some okay. of their staff became involved as reviewers during this five-year process. It took to do the translation, Crew Nations, which is the Native ministry in Crew, they mm-hmm. use it on a regular basis. Um, Montana Indian Ministries in in on the Fort Belknap Reservation, the largest ministry among the Southern Baptists, largest and si- most successful Native ministry there, uses the First Nations version and is spreading it far and wide. But, this uh, Bruce Plummer, the head of the, that ministry, he's a Cinnaboyne, uh, full, full blood native himself. He is sold on it and he believes it will be a key to reaching more and more native people with the love of Jesus and, and understanding who Jesus really is. He says, I used to have mm-hmm. to explain the Bible all the time. Now I don't have to explain it as much. <laughs> 
what it means yeah, because it, that makes sense this, to me. Yeah. This this says it. So, um, so yeah, the the feedback's been good. Uh, InterVarsity Press sold out within within a month of all their stock. A great uh, problem so they, to have. Wow. Yeah, and yeah. then they ordered it. And there's backups now. The backups uh, have been there for a long time because of the supply chain problem and the kind of paper they're using. They're even considering using possibly another printer with a little heavier paper, even though they don't like using that. It'll make it thicker, but they're considering that because they have 40,000 backup orders. Wow. Wow. That's (laughs) already, that's a huge number. (laughs) Yeah. That is a huge number. In book sales. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they sold out again. I, I I don't know how many they've sold, maybe, maybe 30,000. So it's been, it's been amazing. It's, it's uh, unexpected. They, they didn't anticipate these kinds of sales. uh, And I didn't know what to think. All I knew was I needed to do this and, and it was helping people. The whole process was opening new venues for the message of Jesus among our native people. So the finishing it, if, if, if it gets popular among non-native people, yay. And maybe <laughs> what, maybe what will happen is they'll help, uh, they'll help uh, fund because all the money goes back in. It doesn't come to me. It goes into our nonprofit sure. and, mm-hmm. and, and the money is being used for further ministry, you know, and maybe even to do portions of the old Testament and maybe, maybe as somewhere along the way, someone will pick up and do the entire Old Testament, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Maybe people will do a more tribally specific version of this. Mm. You oh, know, that'd be uh, that, that's hopeful too. Um, we don't see this as an end in itself. We see this as a beginning of a new, uh, of a, a, a new way of translating the scriptures. And we have, we have missionaries from uh, India through um, SIL and Wycliffe who have contacted mm-hmm. me and they love it and they want to use these ideas in their translation among indigenous cultures. Mm. Uh, a, a Wycliffe mis- missionary who trains the translators in Mexico loves this, interviewed me, put some of my notes in her training manual and okay. she wants, yeah. she's calling for a Spanish translation of it for the indigenous tribes in Mexico. So yeah, unexpected. It's um, all I can say is uh, thank you, creator. Yeah. Uh, you know, for yeah. what's happening with it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It seems like it's really created a spark. That's yeah. Shining some light in a lot of places. You hinted at this uh, a minute ago. Uh, listener Naftali on Facebook asked about, like, what's the future of this? Will there be a little bit further forays into the Hebrew Testament? Well, um, it, yes. Uh, we, matter of fact, I'm in conversation right now with InterVarsity Press about possibilities. Um, so we're considering uh, at least starting with Psalms and Proverbs mm-hmm. and Genesis. Genesis uh, would be more useful as a narrative uh, um, that that connects to the New Testament story, uh, to the Greek scriptures and the story of Jesus, um, because there are, you know, Abraham's in there and 
so much more. But yeah. so I don't know about the whole Old Testament. We're praying. It just seems overwhelming to me. Um, mm. You know, I, I maybe will <laughs> maybe will inspire someone else. I, I do have a, someone who's graduating with a doctorate in biblical studies, mm. who a native woman who is interested in being part of doing the Old Testament. So mm. maybe uh, I'll, I'll probably be interviewing her um, and maybe uh, this style that it's been done in can be duplicated for the Old Testament without me having to do the whole thing. Sure. So, yeah. So, yeah. Spread so, out yeah, the load a little bit. <laughs> I would just say to the listeners, please pray about that. We are in discussion about that. And, and, and an audio book is being worked on right now uh, that, that, uh, we hope will be published next year. Great. Um, Great. and, oh, and another thing too, that's come out of this is the people of crew in the Jesus film project. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got a hold of us and we, uh, we did a, with the Jesus film asked if we could do, they could use the first nation version. And we did a, a, um, an animated story of Jesus walking on the water and, uh, and or feeding the 5,000 and then walking on the water out of Matthew. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's a beautiful animated version. It was done with honoring native culture. It starts out with a storyteller telling a story and then it goes into the thing. And that's, uh, you can find that's uh, called, um, I think it's called Retelling the Good Story. You can find it on the Jesus Film website um there or you can find it there you can find it on our website also firstnationsversion.com uh and you can uh, go there and somewhere in there you'll you'll see it. it'll talk about the jesus film you can click on it and see it there but that is stirring up things also and in introducing the, it was released at the same time the translation was in august back in august hmm. uh, so those are some of the things coming out of this so yeah, and pray. We, we're mm-hmm. very open to the idea. Wonderful. So I, I know that for many descendants of settlers like myself, we've been really excited to read the Bible in this way and to follow the intuitions and commitments of someone other than European imperialists. Um, what do you hope the impact of the First Nations version will be for those of us who are listening in? Well, if you look at, at Christianity, in America, you'll find that uh, you won't find much, many native people who are being invited to the decision-making tables. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With, whether it's in denominations, whether it's in uh, parachurch organizations, uh, you won't, uh, can you name the national native Christian leaders? So what we're hoping is that this is going to raise awareness that our nat- there are Native people following Jesus that have something of value because we've been devalued, mm-hmm. that we have something of value to offer. Matter of fact, this is only the tip of an iceberg. Our Native people have a beauty in our cultures you know, it's been the negative aspects of our cultures that have been blown out of proportion. And so the beauty of it has been 
uh, de-emphasized. And, and matter of fact, most, most of the Christian work among our Native was to get rid of our Native culture, was to, uh, to you know, to, it was devalued. And, and the problem with this is that so many Native people now understand what happened and why it happened, and they don't like what's going on. Because in our Native cultures, we loved stories. We love to hear about other tribes, we would love to hear their spiritual stories, their their tribal stories, their cultural stories, yeah. and and evaluate them. But one of the things that we do is we we look at the people who are bringing that story to us, and we we evaluate the story by the storytellers. Mm -hmm. And because of that, so many of our people are devaluating the message of Jesus because of the way the message was brought and how the people who brought it acted. I, we hope to see that come to an end. I would hope our dream is in, in native intervarsity and other places is that Jesus would no longer be seen as the white man's God. Mm -hmm. He's not, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. but that he would be, that we'd be able to uh, like Richard twist before he walked on said, let's rescue theology from the Cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> He wrote, he wrote his doctoral thesis and book on rescuing the gospel from the cowboys. So that's what we yeah. hope. We hope that people will begin to be more curious, that people will begin to understand this whole history of colonialism, what's happened, and why the message of Jesus hasn't taken deep root among our people and how that it can. Uh, but non-Native people need to, in some sense, either get on board or get out of the way. Mm -hmm. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Last question. It's completely separate from the, the First Nations version. I just like to ask these folks this. If you had a magic wand and you could persuade all Bible translators to change their ways on like three words or phrases, what would in the Bible, what would they be? You know, I think in some sense, we also we already covered that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a really good question. I don't know if I have any particular phrases that just leap out at me. And I've been thinking about it for a couple of days and it doesn't leap out at me. But that idea of these words that have colonial baggage or that relate mm -hmm. to to European form of Christianity that kind of got brought here. And and so a lot of our Christianity in America is based on European models and ideas uh, yeah. that have come in. So um, I would like to see the word kingdom leave the Bible. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's better ways to present the word kingdom than, than the word kingdom, the word sin, of course, I'd, I'd like to mm -hmm. see the word judge and judgment mm. uh, be removed because of the way it's been misused and mishandled uh, and the, and the word, which is a related word, the word condemn. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, so those are some things that kind of, the, the, and those were words we stayed away from, you know, because of the way they've been used. Uh, mm -hmm. There are ways to present judge judging. We did use it in a couple places, but we use more like um, how creator decides. Okay. Deciding Which, is uh -huh. judging. Makes a lot of sense. And it's a, yeah. mu it's a much better word because the word judgment all immediately in the thing you think of punishment 
And the right. word judgment often is a favorable word in the, in the scriptures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like making things not, right. Yeah. Yeah. Get, making things right. And, and we used a lot the, that terminology for justice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's great. I might want to see the word righteousness taken, uh, mm. replaced just because mm-hmm. of uh, it's not a common word, even among the majority culture to use the word right. righteous, or if it's used, it's used in a different context than what the Bible means by it. Mm-hmm. And so since that word has uh, kind of broken into different usages, uh, and, and matter of fact, a lot of times when people were think of the word righteous, they think of self-righteous. Right. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. rather than what the word actually means. Uh, of, co- of course, the Pharisees were self-righteous. There is such a thing as self-righteousness. But uh, I think the word righteousness relates more to the concept of justice than it does to just uh, quit doing these certain things, quit behaving yeah. these certain ways. You know, behavior is important, but on the big scale, uh, righteousness is not about in specific individual behaviors. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Those are some of the things I. Hope that answers the question. Oh, very well. Yes, thank you. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I really, I appreciate those thoughts and the, those specific, those specific examples resonate a lot with me too. Yeah, we've spent our share of airtime in other episodes talking, <laughs> uh-huh. talking through like those exact words. Uh, yeah. That's great. Well, Terry, thank you so much for taking the time to create this translation with others and to spend some time with us today. Uh, sharing your heart and the heart of this work uh, with us and our listeners. Hey, it's been my pleasure to be here. Miigwech, bizindawieg. Thank you for listening. Wow, that was it. That was a wonderful time talking with with Terry and hearing about the first nations version. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. What, what lingers in the air for you? The experience of just listening, like the him telling the, his story and the story of working on the project. And just, I had imagined going into it that there, I would want to do some more back and forth and like kind of nerd out about this or that and the translated sure. work. And I was like, no, I just kind of, in the middle of like, I just kind of want to listen to him talk actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the, uh, the orality piece, uh, is something that has, I think been in the shadows of how I've thought about the Bible for a few years. I listened to a fantastic, uh, multi-episode series from, uh, David Cayley, the great Canadian broadcaster, um, talking about orality and, uh, intention with literacy. And uh, I've never really heard anybody directly address how that works with the Bible. And I think hearing a less scholastic, but much more productive, <laughs> like the story of this creation that they, they, mm-hmm. they crafted together really is at that intersection of being an oral culture, creating something that's written down um, while trying mm-hmm. to do, do honor to the orality and the storytelling nature of uh, their kinship world. Right. Yeah. Cause they're not the same thing. And, you know, we've talked before about in my, how my translation is not great for reading aloud. 
Um, and it's complicated. Something I <laughs> I hope to improve in like as I go through drafts and revision, but I, I there's no way I'm ever gonna get to the level of orality uh, that the First Nations version have because I I just don't even have that foundation to to work from. And you know it it's not just the ability to read it aloud. There's also some decisions they made in there that if you if you look at a, any given page of their translation, they'll have two different kinds of italicized text inserted into the flow of scripture. Mm-hmm. One of them is a little aside where it's indented and there's a big black bar on the le- in that blank indenter indenture <laughs> space. The spot and, where it's indented. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's, extended margin uh where they're they're really saying like they're acknowledging this is not something that's in the the text and we're not trying to make it that it's really just take a it's almost like a footnote it's Mm -hmm. an in-text note saying hey so women really got the the rough end of things when it came to divorce back in that culture and then mm-hmm. like that's the end of the aside. It's just like making sure you know that as we're talking about divorce. The right. other and that that's expressive of how when we're reading the Bible in a small group setting or a house church setting, that totally happens. It doesn't happen as much in a more pulpit shaped way of gathering or mm-hmm. reading the text. It doesn't need to. But the more close to one another you get the more space there is for those sorts of asides the second type right if i were reading in my with my family with my kids you know i would stop and explain something that needed that they needed to help help them understand it more and then i would continue with the reading it you know it's it wouldn't just Mm -hmm. be like hold your questions till the end right yeah (laughs) and then the second type of uh italicized insertions they have is completely in the flow of the text and it's them really just spelling it out, making sure that uh, a notion that they believe that Matthew or Paul or whoever is trying to get at, but is a little implicit. They feel there is a certain warrant in expanding that just a little bit to make sure it's clear. They're not trying to translate from the Greek, but they're trying to translate from sort of the spirit of it. Mm -hmm. And again, that reads... When I read the Bible aloud, I feel freedom to be able to drop those in. That makes a lot of sense. Like I can see what, what you're getting at. Like, yeah, I would do that. And like, even if I'm teaching on a Sunday, like I'll say, if I'm starting at a place that you know didn't have the context and say, so Jesus just finished the Sermon on the Mount and this is what he's doing next. And he's, and you know. And then I would start the actual text itself, but I can do that when I'm reading aloud, when I'm speaking to people yeah, in a way that it's not, not as easily possible normally in writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a few places that I've noticed uh, in first nations version where they were committed to a certain articulation of the Greek portion of the text, such that it was almost like, this, would, this sentence would actually bend a little better if we just flush it out a little bit. So the it doesn't feel bolted on. It just feels like they were able to create a sentence that feels right. 
<laughs> that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like the rest of this slapped so good, we want to make sure that we can uh, land a little bit. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with like, Paul didn't do it right or something. It's about how would I communicate in this culture versus that culture? And he was communicating in a very particular culture. And- mm-hmm. Well, and this is this has a tremendous amount of precedent in Judaism where you know, Targums were these formats of translating the Hebrew into, into Greek. They had their more formal translation, the Septuagint, of, okay, here's, here's our Hebrew text, and here it is in Greek. That's interesting. A Targum was more for the reading aloud in the praying congregation. Mm-hmm. And there were far more paraphrases in there. There's far more asides. Even even the the Targums are where we get the phrase of the kingdom of God. It's probably where Jesus got the phrase, the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Because in Isaiah, it says, you know, blessed are the feet of those who come bearing good news, who say to your people, your God reigns. And out of reverence for God, wanting to make extra sure we don't take God's name in vain, we're even going to just like shift it to the passive voice and just we're going to really create some buffer here. And instead of saying your God reigns, the Targum reads, behold, the kingdom of your God. Hmm. And that's the earliest place we've ever found the phrase kingdom of God. So this is a totally normal thing that was actually a positive contribution to Christ's own theological imagination, as well as to just the ongoing survival of his people. Yeah, absolutely. The survival of his people makes me think of just like, that's kind of what so much of this is, is carving out pathways for restoration, for goodness, for the people who need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which in some ways is all of us, but in other ways really leans heavily on certain people more than others. And- I want to hear a bit of what you thought about I mean, that that at the end was absolutely, I was tickled by it. Like, okay, what are the three things you could change? And he's like, sin, <laughs> kingdom, and righteousness. <laughs> it's like, holy. It's like, oh, fun. Yes. Those yeah. are, those, that's on our list for sure. And those are some of the examples that we would go to right away mm-hmm. um, and have gone to. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it was validating. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I can I say that. Um, and I and I love some of the ways that I noticed that they he, that he and the team did that. Um, let's see if I can find the hunger and thirst for righteousness is in the Beatitudes that he read to us. They have uh, in the First Nations version, Creator's blessing rests on the ones whose hunger and thirst for wrongs to be made right again. They will eat and drink until they are full. I love that so much. Um, and it's not how I've worded it in any of the places in my translation work, but it's real. It's, it's in the same family. Like it, it's that sense of all things being made well. Um, the, the vision for all things well, like, those who hunger and thirst for all things to be well for everybody again. And, and they're going to 
be satisfied at what they find there. Like, and even the same, the question that he asked about the word sin, like, what does it mean? I think I've done that, right? I think I did that to you in one episode. Like, so what does sin mean, Brandon? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was fun and made me feel like maybe I'm not totally off base and just a, a weirdo doing my own thing. Um, which I've been trying not to, not to be that, but who knows, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Very validating. The weirdos will inherit the earth, dude. That's right. The stone that the builder rejected. Yeah. And even the, the, the question in there about us being from the heritage that we are descended from Europeans, the colonizers, uh, the, the imperialists, and we're trying real hard to, expand our awareness be aware of our privilege try to see the world and scripture and relationships in ways that might have some understanding of what it's like to be from groups that have been more marginalized and oppressed and injured yeah um and he was speaking with very firsthand understanding of that and so to see that some of our decisions of how to approach things overlapped is encouraging and that that you know we're not completely off the mark on it i can just say like i uh too just appreciated his personal story Mm -hmm. that included him well one starting with like learning about jesus learning scripture for the first time as a young adult and his journey into that and then a journey like back into his native culture both both of them are a journey of learning from that wasn't just where he started as a ch- small child and grew up in it yeah um and then being able to share those two different but intertwined journeys uh, mm-hmm. together with us and getting to us getting to hear those stories um from him just made the whole thing so rich. It was a really great experience to to have him share that with us. It was a gift. Yes, it was. Well, that about wraps it up this week. We are both so thankful for your company for this leg of the journey and to Terry as well for his presence with us today. The easiest way to support Found in Translation is to leave us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice. That makes it easier for more people to find this show. Second best way to support the show is to become a sponsor for just $5 a month. When you do that, you'll get comment access on the translations Google Doc and the satisfaction that you're supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. You can find a link to join the community in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on unceded Chinook land. Goodbye, Brandon. Goodbye, Brandon. Bye, everybody.